It's Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day and another big day at that. Twins, of course, play Houston Game 3 of the American League Division Series this afternoon. There will be a special podcast after that this evening. Once that game wraps up, once we have a chance to digest it all, I'll be joined by Lavelle Enil III on that show, um, as I will be for most of these post, uh, post-game post special episodes. So stick around for that later today. A big one, of course. We'll get to that more in just a minute. We've also got a, a bunch of Viking stuff today. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune joins me to break down the film from Sunday's loss to the Chiefs. Vikings falling to 1-4. and four. Um, a game also expressed in poetry with my good friend Keith Rashad, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Justin Jefferson health update um, coming Tuesday morning, and not a good one. We'll get to that in a minute as well, as in, in addition to an amazing Major League Baseball playoff game that I'll get to towards the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? We'll start with the Twins and Sonny Gray, today's starting pitcher, a luxury to be throwing someone who is number three in ERA, best uh, home run rate in the majors among starters this year. Luxury to be throwing him in game three. It's been arguably their most consistent starter from the beginning to the end of this season. He's been durable. Um, Pablo Lopez certainly getting more of the shine towards the end of the season, and rightfully so, particularly for what he has done in the postseason so far, especially for those seven shutout innings in Game 2 in Houston that got the Twins to this point where they are now here, you know, 1-1 in this series with a chance to really take a commanding lead if Sonny Gray can do Sonny Gray-type things. But I'm not here just to talk about Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray's numbers and his performance speak for themselves. What we do need to talk about is that this could all be coming to an end soon for Sonny Gray and the Twins, even if this postseason run goes a lot further. He is a free agent at the end of this season, coming to the end of what essentially amounted to about a five-year, $50 million contract once all of the options and all the other stuff was exercised on his deal. If you are a Twins fan or probably a member even of the Twins organization, you don't want to know what life is like without Sonny Gray. He has been, like I said, their most consistent starter all season. Your second best, you know, the guy you lined up for game two of the of the wild card series and the guy you line up now for game three of this critical series. But he's also a guy who's going to be 34 years old, a guy that has no obvious ties to Minnesota. He'll turn 34 next month. A guy who, you know, pitches a little bit, not like a mercenary exactly, but a guy who doesn't exactly um, strike you as someone who is who's going to say, hey, I want to pitch here for the rest of my life. He's pitching for probably one more good contract and is probably excited to be going into free agency off of such a good, productive, healthy season. So it's an interesting off-season conundrum. Again, we're not there. We're not there yet. Plenty of postseason left, but just watching this game today in particular will tell me kind of a lot about how I think about the future. Sonny Gray goes out, puts up another really good game. The Twins win. I got to be thinking, how do you let this guy go? I know there's guys who can pitch like Sonny Gray. The Twins might talk themselves into, hey, we can get pitcher X, pitcher Y, pitcher Z, be the be the Sonny, Sonny Gray replacement, be the top of the rotation guy. Maybe they think Joe Ryan is going to grow into that sooner rather than later, or Bailey Ober. 
Uh, maybe they have high hopes for Chris Paddock next year, whatever the case might be. Louis Varlin has a chance to be something really good. Sonny Gray is something very good right now. He is a known commodity, a guy you know pitches well for you. So I'm watching this as, as, as this goes on. I don't want to see a Twins rotation without Sonny Gray because I've seen Twins rotations that lacked one piece. Like imagine if they'd gone into this season without Pablo Lopez. Imagine if they hadn't made that you know, rather controversial Luis Arias trade in this past offseason. Think about how you'd be feeling right now with the rotation stacked the way it would be without a Pablo Lopez at the top. That's almost how it feels without a Sonny Gray at the top. And again, I know you, Sonny Gray is not irreplaceable in the sense that they can get another pitcher perhaps like Sonny Gray. The pitcher who is most like Sonny Gray, though, is Sonny Gray, and he is going to be a free agent. Will he be here next year? Will they be able to, will they want to, first of all, and will they be able to come to an agreement to keep him here? Because I don't think I want to know a Twins rotation, especially in the playoffs, that does not include Sonny Gray. And here was Gray, by the way, before Game 3. This was him from the Monday media session talking about his kind of approach to this game and what he will bring against a tough Astros lineup. I look forward to the to the matchup to the challenge um i'll come up with a plan uh, of how i'm going to attack him and then and then after that it's just it's just let me go out there and be me um a big thing for me is me versus you i'm going to challenge you i'm going to come at you with my best stuff and if you get me you get me if i get you i get you and that's just kind of talking about like how you know carlos lives his life it's just super that's just kind of how i live my life um it's, it's me and you. You know, when you get out there, I'm the pitcher, you're the hitter, and I got a catcher, and I got, I got guys behind me. But at the, it, simplifying it even down, it's me versus you. That's the mentality you want. He was really good in five shutout innings against Toronto in the uh, the wild card series. Uh, we'll see what they can. We'll see see what he can give them in today's game. Not a guy that's probably going to pitch quite as deep as Pablo Lopez, but again, the Twins have a pretty well rested bullpen right now. Did not have to fire a lot of bullets in Game Two because uh, because Lopez pitched seven. All they did was uh, was use Brock Stewart for one and Joe and Duran for one, and now they've had an off day in between. So everybody should be pretty much ready to go, ready to bolster or whatever Sonny Gray can give them. And oftentimes this year, it has been a lot. Now, speaking of a guy who should have a new contract, Justin Jefferson, we got an update on him Tuesday morning. Wanted to shoehorn that into the show really quick because this is pretty fresh news. Uh, ben Gessling and others um, around uh, around the NFL, but Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune reporting that Jefferson expected to go on the injured reserve list today, which would mean he would miss four games. That is a big deal for the Vikings that takes you through you know that takes you through more than the first half of the season they're already one and four they're going to be playing they have they will have played nine games by the time Jefferson Jefferson comes back you figure they were going to be out he was going to be out for at least one to two weeks depending on the severity that includes the game next week against Chicago includes the home game against San Francisco then they got to play Green Bay after that Green Bay just got beat last night against Vegas that they don't look great but all of these things, trying to do them without Justin Jefferson, an already difficult hill to climb when you're 1-4. and four. Trying to come out from that without Justin Jefferson, the guy who should have had a new contract before this season started. I don't know how or why they couldn't get that done, but that piece of it 
has lingered over the start of the season. And again, this is not a catastrophic season-ending, career-threatening injury, but it is something that, you know, will impact his his kind of uh, his progress this season, what, you know, how how things are going towards um, you know, towards his own success, towards his own personal goals and things like that. So just watching this right now, you know, wonder if this will impact how they think about the trade deadline in a few weeks, wondering where this puts them in their big picture thinking, but living without Justin Jefferson for essentially a quarter of the season, at least, that will be difficult for them. You saw how the offense functioned without him in the in part of that game against Kansas City. They were still able to move the ball. They've got other offensive pieces, but they're going to have to be a lot more diversified. Kirk Cousins, truly a man of his reads, will have to go through all of his progressions a little bit more differently. Will not have that player where you can just say, hey, go make a play unless we see an emergence from Jordan Addison during that time, which would be the best case scenario for the Vikings. But this can go one of two ways. They can either rally around it at this point or this will go even further in the tank. And I think Sunday's game against the Bears will be a good litmus test for where that is at. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Obviously, everything that Andrew Kramer and I talked about happened before we knew the Justin Jefferson news, but we were a bit, we were essentially talking like Jefferson, Jefferson was going to be out for a while, so I think all of that analysis in just a little bit here will hold up just fine. Let's review the film. With Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune. The film has not been pretty this year, Andrew, and the film really hasn't lied to us. It tells us what this Vikings team is. They've got some talent, obviously. They've got some good skill position, offensive players. They've held things together to a decent degree, a lot of times on defense, but the sum of all that has been losses because of all of these, you know, self-inflicted wounds at, at the worst possible times, the fumble to start the game against Kansas City, some drop passes, you, you know, get crucial moments. It's just not coming together for them in the way that anybody could have envisioned at this point. Yeah, the first play of the game. They don't even wait until the second or third play. First play of the game, Josh Oliver coughs it up, and uh, it's it's symbolic that it was on a 15-yard catch and run that was a successful play. Yeah. And looking back on it, if he had just gone down with the ball, Kevin O'Connell would have chalked that one up as a success. Um, yeah, it, it just all the drops, the, the drops were the big one in this game, whether it's the misconnections with Hawkinson that you point out. Um, I think there might've been three of them, three or four um, that they went off his hands. Yeah, it was a lot. And cousins admitted like the ball placement was high and looking back on it, he missed some shots, uh, to Jefferson that sailed over his head. Um, and yes, they were kind of high to Hawkinson, but you pay a six foot six, Pro Bowl tight end to come down with those those passes that hit his hands, no matter how, how hard those catches are going to be. So um, I, I think of the Oliver drop was huge. The Madison drop right there at the end before the final third and fourth down throws um, in the, on the drive before the, yeah. the final drive. Right. Um, there were just so many moments that you look back on. It, it just would have made one, two, three of these catches. Um, they're in that game, maybe forcing overtime against a Chiefs team that is pretty beatable this year. You saw yeah. it. I, 
and I overall, I was kind of unimpressed with the Chiefs defense. I think with Jefferson going down with a hamstring injury, that was obviously huge. Um, but you, they had chances there, um, and much like many of these games. What's, you know, I mean, Cousins and Hawkinson seem to have a pretty instant chemistry last year. Hawkinson comes here midseason. He gets targeted all the time, really takes some pressure off Jefferson. And he's been productive this season, but... Is there, you know, is, what's what do we chalk this up to that he's that he's, you know, missed that they're just kind of off a little bit. The ball placement's a little off. Hawkins is not coming down with these balls. It's just one of those things. Or is there something the defense is doing to maybe prevent them from doing what they want to do fully? Or I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this is right now. Well, on, on Sunday, it was really just Hawkinson not playing well. Um, Hawkinson should have had a bigger day. He had five catches for 51 yards. And if he comes down with those other three passes, we're talking about an eight-catch day for probably 80-plus yards. Um, and, and that's a great day for him. And that's kind of the typical day that has been TJ Hawkinson in Minnesota. So to me, on Sunday anyway, it was about him not playing well. Now, there's certain moments where because of this offensive line, he's going to be in protection more often than maybe a Travis Kelsey, where with Mahomes, you can just say, hey, Pat, run around on third and fourth down and make yeah. something happen. With, um, For instance, on Jordan Addison's touchdown catch, TJ wasn't running a route from the four-yard line. He was back blocking. Um, those are situations where you would like your six-foot-six tight end to be out there uh, as a target for your quarterback, and it still worked out for them. So I do think there are ways that he's limited in, in that sense. Against the Chiefs, they're a very blitz-heavy team with Steve Spagnola, and I think you saw him protect more because of that in this game, but he still should have put up the numbers. Kirk Cousins dropped back 50 times. Um, there was no reason why Hawkinson couldn't have had those eight catches uh, and those would have been critical catches in key moments. Some of those were third downs. Um, it's just inexcusable play right now from a guy that they just rewarded with a huge contract. And they might need him even more in the next two, three, four weeks. We don't know how long Justin Jefferson might be out. We don't know for sure if he's going to be out for any amount of time. But when it, when a wide receiver leaves a game with a hamstring problem and it's bad enough that he's not playing in the closing moments of a one score game, you have a hard time believing he's going to play at least against Chicago just because you don't want to have that flare up become something worse. You know, if even if it's only a mild hamstring, and again, we don't know exactly what the severity is, but you imagine it's going to be at least a week or two. And then all of a sudden you're talking about, okay, now Hawkinson has to have an outsized effect on, you know, the Chicago game, maybe the San Francisco game, if they're going to have any shot at all. So what, what is what does an offense without Justin Jefferson potentially look like? Because we haven't had to do much of that except in the preseason. That's true. Um, yeah, these hamstring strains are tricky, and we saw it. The Vikings fans know it. Going back to uh, even Adam Thielen, I think it might have been the 2021 or 2020 season. He had one that robbed him of multiple stretches in in the season where he came back and it reaggravated him. And he talked about coming back too quickly. Uh, and learning from that. And we see Cooper Cup dealing with this now. We saw uh, Christian Watson in Green Bay dealing with a hamstring strain, missing a few games. Teams are, are learning to exercise caution. And the Vikings are a team, obviously, because they don't play any of these guys in the preseason, are a team that uh, exercises plenty of caution when it comes to these injuries. Jefferson is the franchise. So I would be surprised if he plays right away in Chicago. And if if they're lucky and it's it's a minor strain, 
then yeah, he's back maybe with that extra day on Monday night against San Francisco the week after that. Um, we saw a little bit at the end of the game what a, a Jefferson offense looks like. It looks like spreading the ball around. It looks like Jordan Addison here, Brandon Powell there, um, KJ Osborne catch and run for 27 yards there. Um, I think you're going to continue to see Cousins kind of distribute without that star to to just go to. And frankly, it does put more on TJ Hawkinson. They they need him to produce then at more of that star caliber if Jefferson's not going to be there, um, especially against the Chicago Bears team that somehow has thrown four touchdowns in back-to-back games. And have scored more points than the Vikings have this season. I mean, the, the Vikings offense has been flat-out disappointing this year. I don't think we can say anything else. They're tw- they've scored 22 points a game, and that is with a defensive touchdown thrown in there for good measure. I mean, that's not... That's not explosive. That's not what you would have expected at the start of the year. No, it's not. It's not. They've been unreliable. And and frankly, it's not even necessarily to the offensive line's detriment uh, or, or issue. I don't think they've been playing poorly. I think the last few games have actually been pretty good from that O-line. I went back and watched the game against the rewatched the game against the Chiefs, trying to see just the pressure on Cousins. You look at the numbers. He was hit 12 times, sacked three times. You would think, boy, there goes another typical offensive line game from the Vikings. And it wasn't. It was a lot of free runners. It was a lot of the blitzes that were getting past their protection schemes, which perhaps has to do with pre-snap identification. To me, the stuff was coming from the outsides, the edges. Cousins needs to get rid of it quicker, make quicker decisions. Uh, he can do a lot more to mitigate some of the damage he's taking. Uh, Dalton Reisner is sitting on the bench. And so we can't say that it's because of the offensive line. The coaches clearly agree that that combo on the interior is is what they're going to continue to roll with. It's because of these skill players, Alexander Madison even had some runs in this game where I'm thinking, I wish I could see a different angle of this to see what he's seeing because I don't understand why he's missing uh, a cutback here or a bounce outside there. The blocking seemed fine. Um, Madison's been disappointing. Hawkinson's been disappointing. It's been Justin Jefferson and and a little bit of Addison, and and that's about it when they're not fumbling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and still the turnovers are got to be the biggest part of the story. There was only one. It was just that one. Um, in, in the Kansas City game, but obviously it had an outsized impact on the game. I mean, it's the first play of the game. It's a, it's a positive play. You're almost to midfield when it happens already. The Kansas City gets a short field, scores. All of a sudden, it's like, well, that's that. it, it ends up being pretty close to the, the deciding factor in the game once you get to the end of it because it's, you know, that that's just, that's just how tight these games are. Um, you mentioned the offensive line, though. I mean, Ingram was, I thought, was was quite a bit better in this game and has been decent for a few weeks. Cleveland was a little shaky moments when I was rewatching something for something I'm writing for something I was writing for Monday. It was uh, there was a moment where um, Jones beat him like really clean, and it was so it was so fast that Romo thought that it was a screen pass, like that they let Jones <laughs> go by, and then he corrected himself and said, "Nope, yeah. that was just that was just Ezra Cleveland had no chance against Jones one on one." So. I mean, not not many people do, but if kind of get the idea that if anybody's going to get replaced at guard, it might be Cleveland and not Ingram at this point. Yeah, I think that might be part of their conundrum with bringing in Dalton Reisner is that they talked to him about back in August, they bring him in a training camp. They talked to him about a career left guard playing right guard because of the issues Ed Ingram was having. And Ingram being the younger player and generally more in- inconsistent, um, is the guy that I think they were leaning toward replacing. But frankly, over the 
five games this season, Ezra Cleveland has had just as many lows, or at least his lows have been just as bad. And on Sunday, Chris Jones moved all over. He matched up against Ingram. He matched up against Cleveland. They were he matched up against Darisaw. They were moving him all over the place. And his three hits on Cousins look good on the box score, but they all came through Ezra Cleveland. Yeah. Um, I think everybody else on the Vikings offensive line played pretty well, including Ingram. It was probably one of his better games that he played. And Bradbury seemed healthy, seemed like he was playing up to his uh, improved standard that he had set last year as well. Um, so I can see the conundrum from the Vikings of like, okay, well, Ingram started 40 some straight games for this franchise. He has for however average he's been, been pretty consistent presence in there. Are you going to interrupt that right now for a new guy? When frankly, your interior line was not why you lost that game to the chiefs. There were many other reasons why. Um, and you can probably go to Chicago and, and handle it as well with this group. Well, that's pretty kind of brings me to my final point. I mean, you said many reasons why, and that that just feels like the real conundrum for the Vikings right now, and the real the real reason why this is like kind of a they're at a point where they go to Chicago, and you know they still should win that game. You would think because they can move the ball against Chicago, and you know as as well as Chicago's offense has played the last couple of weeks. You don't know if that's sustainable. But there's so many points at which this can break down for the Vikings. You get the offensive line that sometimes has slippage. They're dropping passes. Sometimes Cousins is inaccurate. You got the turnover problem. They're not good in the red zone. They're not terribly efficient on third down. Like there's so many little things like this chain. Like if you're trying to trying to keep stay ahead of the chains, trying to they're not running the ball great. Like all these little things, like when it looks good, it looks good, but there's enough times where it doesn't look good that drive stall and they're just not scoring enough. Like it it's it's worrisome because I don't see quite how they fix it. Well, and it's it's little things and big things. I mean, whether it's the big turnovers or it's Kirk on on the start of the second series after you fumbled the first series away, the start of the second series, he just drops the snap. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and they were lucky that he picked it up and could make it work, but it's stuff like that, or it's the operational, it's the delay of games, it's the burn timeouts, it's it's these little things that frankly in a second year are reflecting poorly on Kevin O'Connell if these operational issues uh, continue to keep going on. And yeah. and if you can't especially get what is supposed to be your baby, the offense, uh, together with all the high-priced pieces that they have. Yeah, I agree. I think the offense has underperformed. The defense has probably performed about as well as you might have imagined, which is not great, but at least it does seem like they keep them in games a little bit more than they did a year ago. So we'll see. We'll see where it all goes. I mean, if they lose to the Bears... Um, Sell it all for parts, Andrew, because there's not a <laughs> chance in the world that they're beating the 49ers. The 49ers are way too good for them. They would be one and six at that point. And, uh, you know, if, if we think the season's over now, imagine if they got to one and six at that point. But it's yeah, tough. they need, I was going to say, they need Justin Fields to turn back into a pumpkin. That's for they sure. They do. And, they need, and we're going to head of ourselves on that. But every time they lose, it's like, <laughs> You see what could happen. He keeps thinking they can beat anybody. They can also lose to anybody. So we'll see what happens against the Bears. Andrew, appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew, as always. And, you know, aside from Justin Jefferson, which is a big problem, now the Vikings have plenty of other problems. Still 
the the costly turnovers, the timely turnovers. They they scored in the first quarter for the first time all year against Kansas City, but albeit it was just a field goal, three points in the first quarter this season. A lot of that because of all the first quarter turnovers. They've got to start faster. They've got to stop digging themselves a hole in a lot of these games. They've been playing from behind so much this season that makes them more predictable on offense. Let's defenses just tee off on Kirk Cousins. And again, the offensive line has been better in some cases for Kirk Cousins, but he's still holding on to the ball to try to make plays, and he is still getting hit at a pretty high rate. We'll see what more they can get done against the Bears. But again, this is a team with a lot of flaws right now, and you add an injury to their best player by far to that. That is a concern for sure. Poetry time on Daily Delivery. Keith Rashad is my guest, as always. The, uh, the much-talked-about Vikus, we got a compliment on it last week. I shared that with you, and you were very pleased about that. I uh, it, It's funny, right, because it came from a Star Tribune employee, or new employee, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, makes me wonder about the Star Tribune, makes me wonder about print journalism in general and uh, what exactly is happening to the industry. But, uh, yeah, I guess if that's the kind of people you're hiring, whatever. This is not a print newspaper anymore. This is a media company. I will have you know. Um, but you have some poetry for us today to help describe the twenty-seven to twenty loss to Kansas City, one and four, zero oh and three at home. Give me your for your first vaiku, please, sir. Nothing surpasses the passive aggressiveness of mothers-in-law. Explain that one to me. <laughs> Okay. All right. So um, let me uh, let's just let's just deal with the sad part before we get to the explanation part. Okay. 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 We have mentioned on this podcast that I am a single father. Correct. And despite what ninety eight point seven percent of the people who listen to this segment think, I am not a single father because I'm a total and complete jerk. I am a single father because my wife passed away a little over three years ago from cancer. Yes. And my son was four and a half at the time. And I committed myself to uh, staying in touch with my wife's family. And so he knew he knew that part of the family. Of course, yeah. And he knew more people who know who knew her. And the person that I most communicate with is uh, <laughs> we don't have a very good language for this, right? Yeah. Uh, she is technically not my mother-in-law anymore. Right. Uh, but that's what I'm going to call her because course, yeah. we, we don't have a very good language for what happens with and around death. Correct. Uh, but I keep in contact with her and they live outside of Kansas City. Oh, and okay. uh, despite the fact that they are also uh, Native American, they then have protested against that team and the nickname. Okay. Her mother-in-law still... Uh, <laughs> watches that team and is very invested in the hometown teams so i get to hear about the royals and i get okay. to hear about the chiefs and and so we were communicating because we're going up there for thanksgiving and i get this this text from her right uh -huh. and we were just going back and forth and a little bit in the text and and she writes back this oh and i forgot to, to also mention it's like oh we're really looking forward to the game on sunday <laughs> and and, and like, I, I, look, <laughs> it, she's a mother-in-law, right? Yeah. I know what she was saying. I know what she was really saying. What she was really saying is we're looking forward to my team kicking the <laughs> beat them unmercifully 
and I am going to look forward to every moment of that. Yeah, she might have used del- she might have used more delicate language. I don't know. I don't know her that well. Well, you know, look, she is a very lovely woman, and I am happy to continue to uh, participate and be a part of that family. Yes, but I know what she was saying. You know what she was saying in, in, not, in so many words. There was no. Oh, we're looking forward to this. Oh, no. <laughs> we're looking forward to being four and one, while the Vikings are looking forward to being one and four. Is what she was going to say. We're we're going to enjoy a spirited contest. <laughs> Just hope everybody gets some exercise. That's what we want. That's exactly what it's all about. So yeah, that's what I had to deal with. Vikings number two, please. I like that one. That was good. What is the root cause? Is it self-inflicted wounds or blind referees? Yeah, I took some umbrage with some of what happened in that game. You know, it's like it was like a bunch of 50-50 calls, right? It was like I the, the I was probably in the minority on this, but I still thought the Kelsey play was an interception, but maybe I maybe I need to let that go. But there was the there was some other plays too in the pass interference late where they picked up the flag. Probably wasn't pass interference, but how do you pick up the flag in that case? But also like the Chiefs they gave the Vikings like Chiefs were penalized a whole bunch. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's more self-inflicted than it is the refs, but I want to hear your take. Well, that's the that's the actual answer. In one sense, it's fun to complain about the referees. And, and there were a lot of calls that maybe could have gone the other way. There was the catch along the sideline that I'm still not oh, as convinced. I don't think, I don't think was, that was a catch. catch. No, that wasn't a catch. You know, there was the pass interference against the Vikings uh, where – Harrison Smith did run into the guy, but I'm not sure that that ball was anywhere near him. And then, the, like you said, the one that they picked up. So, you know, it's fun to complain about the refs, but the real problem is the self-inflicted wounds, right? How many passes can you drop, right? And then to and then to give up the ball on the very first play of the game. Yes, yes. This is not a sharp or, or good team. This is no. not a team that looks like it's in sync in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, if you are going to have your your fancy little hold in and you're going to tell everybody you got this big ear infection and we're going to have to live through that production and that amount of lies, right? Maybe you should actually start playing like one of, if not the best tight end in football yeah. there, TJ. A lot of balls, so, hit his, a lot of balls hit his hands and hit the ground. And you know, let's not forget. I mean, I don't think we can put it all on him, but the Chargers game ended with him dropping a pass in the end zone that ended up being an interception. And they would have won that game if he makes that catch. There's he has done nothing this season to make you feel like that contract was justified, and it's made even more egregious by the fact that. Justin Jefferson still doesn't have a contract. How is it that they prioritized this guy who is not performing this year as opposed to the best wide receiver in the game? Well, uh, TJ Hawkinson was brought in by the current. He'll forever be TJ Hawkins to me. TJ Hawkins. (laughs) There's no son. He is no son to you. Uh, (laughs) TJ Hawkinson was brought in by the current regime. Justin Jefferson was not. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? They have their they have their guys. I don't know. I'm I don't. Jefferson still doesn't have a contract. That's weird to me. And now he's hurt. Good luck uh, being. Good luck playing anybody without Justin Jefferson because they haven't had to live with that reality at any point that I can remember. But anyway, um, Vaiku three, please. 
He looked really hurt. A halftime call from Taylor. The foot was better. Yeah. You thought Kelsey was out for the game. They just taped it right up, and then he's back in. Taylor Swift didn't show up, by the way. Um, Probably for the best. I don't think we needed that. But why does she hate Minneapolis, I guess, is my question. Well, you were not going to convince me of anything other than this happening, right? He gets hurt right before halftime, goes into the locker room, right? His phone rings. He sees the number. He knows who it is, right? He answers. Uh, hey, sweetheart, or hello, good friend, or whatever it is that they're (laughs) supposed to be. Yes. And uh, there's nothing on the other line other than um, in the background, the the song Shake It Off is playing, right? No words, no nothing else, just the song. And he knows. He knows what the message is, right? He knows what he needs to do. So he has somebody staple his Achilles back together or shoot him up with horse tranquilizers or whatever it is that they used. He knew, right? She sent the message. She didn't even have to speak. She sent the message and he knew what he had to do. Maybe right? she even maybe she even played the breakup song that she's already written about him. It could very well be, but clearly it, it, you would have to be an idiot or a fool or a complete misogynist to to imagine that he's the one that wears the pants in that relationship yes. right yes. he so he got the phone call he understood what the the stakes were yeah and he went out there and played yes. and i can imagine that keep happening and i can imagine a scenario where at the end of the season we find out that he's actually been dead for six weeks yeah. because he <laughs> kept going out there to to perpetuate this this quasi-relationship that we're all supposed to care about. He's been playing on six broken legs, 37 fractured ribs, a, exactly. con- a, con- a concussion that would kill most normal rhinoceri. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I mean, but you're right. In a, in a weird way, it was like people were ready to blame Taylor Swift not being there for him getting hurt. So you know, maybe there was something that I don't know what happened at halftime, something he was awfully hurt Walked off the field. He was awfully disappointed. Next thing you know, he's back in the game, making great catches, and the Chiefs are winning that game. Vaiku 4, please. Maybe this is wrong. Perhaps it is Romo's fault. I hate you, Jim Nance. <laughs> Tony Romo sure was complimentary of the Vikings throughout the, throughout, the, throughout a game and a season in which they have not been good. Like the pregame, he was like, yeah, Vikings fans, you're going to like the way this, it's almost like Ed Donatello, you're going to like the way this team plays or something like that. It was like, you, you, just wait, just wait. This team is better than I thought they were. They're going to be, they got some, got something in store for the rest of the year. And then they go out and fumble on the very first play uh, from, from scrimmage. And it was just more of the same. It was more, it was the same game. We watched the same game over and over again last year. We watching the same game over and over again this year. Well, see, the thing is, is a, there's that stat that we actually talked about, I think last year, maybe even two years ago about how the Vikings haven't won a game that Jim Nance has called since Tommy Kramer was flinging the ball That's or something amazing. like that. That's amazing. And it's just, uh, and you know, Jim Nance is an excellent broadcaster who is well-deserving of the success that he's had in his career. I just want him nowhere near the Vikings ever again because it's it's a loss. It's just going to be a loss. He's Vikings and poison. How do, you, how do you drop that many footballs in a game, right? How do professional football players 
drop that that Alexander Madison. That was the most one. upsetting one, wasn't it? Because he walks, he probably walks into the end zone. That was they actually set up a good screen. It was perfect. They had like two linemen out there to take care of the rest of the wash. He's probably in the end zone on that play. And I'm not saying Jim Nance is doing it on purpose, right? <laughs> Some Nance voodoo or something there. I'm not, I'm not saying he's doing it on purpose. I'm just saying there's something there. And that we got to keep that guy out of the Twin Cities and away from this team as much as possible. I was not aware to the extent to which the Jim Nance curse was real. Didn't realize quite how many games it was. But yeah, it's been a decade since they won a Jim Nance game. I wrote about that a little bit in the context of Monday's, uh, kind of Monday's aftermath of the Vikings game. So go check that out on StarTribune.com if you want more on the Nance curse. Let's finish with the cooler Atlanta. What a finish to their comeback win over the Phillies on uh, on Monday night. They were in real trouble. They lost game one. They were down 4 nothing in game two, the prohibitive World Series favorites after a dominant regular season. They were up against the wall. It's going to be 2 nothing going back to Philadelphia. They were going to be on the brink of elimination, but they come back, take the lead 5-4, then the Phillies are trying to rally in the ninth. One out, one on, um, the drive into the right center field gap, and then... Michael Harris, the second, makes a leaping catch at the wall, fires it back towards the infield. They get a double play. They double off uh, Bryce Harper off first base. Nick Castellanos was the, was the guy who hit the ball. They double him off to finish off the game. Now, some interesting uh, pieces of that. Now, the throw came back in. It was cut off eventually by the third baseman who fired it over to first for the double play. It was the first 8-5-3 double play in postseason history. That's terribly, not terribly surprising. That's a pretty unusual double play. But this struck me. The first double play ever involving an outfielder to end a postseason game. Wouldn't you have imagined there would have been like a, a fly ball, a sacrifice fly type situation that would have ended a game in a, in a postseason? Someone trying to score a tying run on a medium, shallow fly ball and ended up getting thrown out? Guess not. Guess that was the first time it had ever happened to end a World Series game. So some history. This is the postseason. I don't know if I want a Twins game to be quite that dramatic. The rest of the ones so far this year have been tense, but not quite that dramatic. I don't know. Maybe we'll see one of those somewhere along the way, but I'm sure Twins fans would prefer a tidy victory Tuesday. We'll see how that goes. And again, uh, special episodes coming off of the Tuesday game and the Wednesday game. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again later on today.